encountering God should not be uh, something you become, um, you know, like a tolerance to. Like, oh, man, no, I'm good. I had enough. No, dude, you want to be hungry for God. Amen? Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 20. I was so excited that I was hearing what God was doing in the young people's lives at camp and how the Lord was ministering to them there. I remember when I was at camp, I got filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues. I think I was around eight years old. I was never the same after that. So young people who are here that went to camp, God bless you. Keep pursuing God. Never stop. And uh, parents, just remember, it comes around every year, so try to prioritize it so you can be a part of that. But uh, I remember being at camp, experiencing God, knowing that God was real, but then going back to my everyday life, and then it kind of going away. And so young people, don't let it go away. Don't let your passion for God go away. And parents, help them by doing devotions at the table and spending time with them so that they can continue to flan fan that flame. Make sure they're coming to youth group, doing out. Reaches. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. I want you to look at John chapter 20 right now and see if there was anything that I skipped last time I went through this. Because before we had our guest speaker, I was uh, preaching out of John 20. First service is John chapter 20, verse by verse. Hebrews is a second service. And I got so excited, I skipped a verse. Is anybody here nerdy enough? Or technical enough to know, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, I skipped one. Okay, no one caught it. Now, by the way, I didn't catch it either until I listened to myself again. But I want you to, uh, to pay attention when we're going through the sermon series. So think about that, that I could skip a verse and you guys who are faithful to first service wouldn't notice it. Wouldn't notice it. So that means that you may not be paying attention as well as you thought you were. Now, that doesn't make you, it shouldn't make you feel bad, but pay attention when we're going through the scriptures because I'm the kind of person that caught it. So I listen to myself again. By the time I get home, I've already listened to both of my sermons at double speed. And of course, that's fun listening to anybody preach at double speed, especially me who talks super fast, you know. But I caught it and I go, oh, hold on. Because what happened was look at John chapter 20, look at verse. 21, this is what I was doing. I was pumped. I went, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then I just went to preaching on receiving the Holy Spirit. Does anybody remember that? Anybody remember that? I started talking about it, and I was emphasizing that here in the chronology of Jesus' life after resurrection, we see the breath of the Holy Spirit being breathed on them before the day of Pentecost. Why is that important? Because we as Pentecostals believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate work subsequent to being saved. Mm, everybody go, mmm. See, that's a big thought right there because when you talk to people who do not understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they will think that that's synonymous with being born again. That the day I was born again, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And both the oneness Pentecostal and the Baptist err in that way. The oneness Pentecostal says, unless you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in other tongues, you're not saved. And then they point to scriptures where people got saved, were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and spoke in tongues, like in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And they say, here is evidence of what we believe. Then on the other side, the Baptists say, yes, the baptism of the Holy Spirit means you're born again, but you don't have to speak in tongues. And then they point to times in the book of Acts where people received the baptism or supposedly the Holy Spirit and didn't speak in tongues. Some may say they're both wrong. Amen. They are both wrong because they are missing this key component of the timeline of Jesus' life. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is in Acts chapter 2. The receiving of the Holy Spirit to be born again is in John chapter 20. Notice it again. Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now mark that place right there. Now go to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Somebody say, work the word. 
Amen. Now go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's where they make the mistake because they don't know how to harmonize this. Hold on. In John chapter 20, did they receive the Holy Spirit? Or just look at verse 7. It is not for you to know the dates and times of the Father as set by his own authority, but you will receive Holy Spirit. Uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So notice, do they have it or do they not have it? In John chapter 20, it says he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Here he's saying for them to wait for the Holy Spirit. Go up to verse 4. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised will give you. Now go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the Holy, uh, excuse me, when the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing violent wind came from heaven, filled the house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separate and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the what? The Holy Spirit and began to do what? Speak in other tongues as the what? The Spirit enabled them. Thank you. So now do you understand why the Baptists and the Oneness Pentecostal are both wrong? They don't understand being born of the Spirit and being baptized of the Spirit. Now this is not even the verse I skipped, but I have to go through it again because I want everyone to get this. Most people do not see this timeline. Going back to John, see the timeline in chapter 20. What is happening when he breathes on them? They're being born again. Why is that important to John's gospel? Because that's what John's been talking about. Start in John chapter 1 quickly, please. In John chapter 1, what is the theme of the spiritual encounter that the disciples are going to have? They're going to have a rebirth, an adoption. Notice in John chapter 1, look at verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of who? Born of God. Now go to John chapter 3, verse 3. The context of John 3.16, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life is in the context of being born again. Look at John chapter 3, verse 3. Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are what? Born again. Now go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. How are they going to be born again? They're going to be born again by the Spirit. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever. The who? The Spirit of truth. Now, because I didn't emphasize the Spirit in John 3, just go back there so you can see it quickly. I know some of you already know, but I just want you to see the emphasis. Verse 6 of John chapter 3, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to what? Spirit. Okay, then in John chapter 14, he says that he is going to send the Spirit of truth. Now go with me to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, what is the Holy Spirit going to do? Look at John chapter 16, verse 7. But very truly, it is good that I go away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes to you, what is he going to do? He's going to make you a new creation. He's going to make you a new person. Amen? Now go back to John chapter 20 where we are today. Receive, John chapter 20, verse 22. Receive who? John chapter 20, verse 22. I'm waiting for everybody to get there. By God's grace, August, we'll go back to the karaoke Bible. You all ready for it? But I love hearing pages turns, and I'm looking for the thumbs to be scrolling through their apps here. John chapter 20, verse 22. Receive the who? The Holy Spirit. Now, everyone get this. This is very important to go to the verse that I missed because this is where I was at and I started preaching. But it's good that we uh, remind ourselves of this review is for you. Jesus has been talking about in John, via John writing the gospel and himself in the narration, has been talking about a spiritual rebirth. The book is centered around Jesus being the one who gives the rebirth, restoring us back to what we lost when we were in the Garden of Eden. Now you see Jesus completing that task, breathing on them, receiving the Holy Spirit. So then what is Acts chapter 1 prophesying about, and what is that fulfillment in Acts chapter 2? 
It's very simple to what it is. It's not regeneration. It's impartation of power. Look at it. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 5. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. That's why we're Pentecostal. Because on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out in a baptismal way, in an outpouring kind of way, in an overflowing way. And what's the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Once again, John, I mean, I keep saying John, but look at Acts 1.8. But you will receive what? Born again? You'll receive a new nature? You will become a new person? No, what does it say? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Why is that important? Because the oneness Pentecostal and the Baptist both get it wrong. Now, because the oneness Pentecostal has many other things wrong, they are outside of the body of Christ. Our Baptist brothers and sisters are Christians like us, but they do not believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate work than salvation. They put it together. They think that's just another way of saying, I've been baptized in water, I've been saved, Jesus has changed me. It is not the same thing. Can you see clearly now it's not the same thing? Otherwise, why in Acts is he talking to them about receiving something that supposedly they've already received? And, and then what they try to say, and I'll give you the best argument that they have, is that when Jesus breathed on them and said receive the Holy Spirit, that was symbolic of what was then actually going to happen on the day of Pentecost. But is there any reason to take that symbolically? No, otherwise he was just breathing his hot hummus breath on them. <sighs> Receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, Jesus, I guess I will. When? Well, a while from now. No, that's not what's going on. John is showing us, as I've talked about before, the surround sound of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is filling in for us that sound that you don't hear in Matthew and Mark. And Luke, see, we call those the synoptics because they're very similar. John is filling in those pieces to help us understand. Luke is also the author of Acts. So if you read from Luke to Acts, it's meant to read as one book. The times of Jesus and the times of the apostles, okay? And so what John is doing is he's putting right in between these narratives the things that we need to know to have it make sense. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense to how people are being given power and being saved at the same time because the timeline of Jesus, even in the synoptics, is that you first must need to repent, be saved, be baptized. How is that not already happened in the disciples? They had to wait to Pentecost and otherwise to be saved. You're basically saying, if you're like a Baptist or a oneness Pentecostal, you're saying that the disciples are not even saved, born again, until the day of Pentecost. And so they have it backwards. They have, they're, they're putting literally the cart before the horse. And for some of you who are new to the church or you're just learning to study with us, this may seem a bit complicated. It's really not. We're only just untying knots that people make. Because I want you as good Bible students to understand what is happening in these scriptures so that you can participate. So the way it's supposed to work according to the Bible, the ordus salutis in Latin, or the order that we follow of the salvation steps, is that you repent and you believe in Jesus and you're saved. Everybody say, I'm saved. Amen. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you are saved. You are then born again. You are given the Spirit of God. Let me just show you that quickly. Romans 10, 9. Had the disciples already did this? Absolutely. Before Pentecost, yes, they had already did this. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Notice this here, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? You'll be saved. Had they already did that? Yes. But why did he have to breathe on them the Holy Spirit? Because up into Jesus' resurrection, you could not be saved in the name of Jesus. You had to be saved by the works of the law in the time of Moses. It was still by faith, but you had to follow that covenant. Jesus, after resurrection, is now the initiator of a new covenant. Can I hear an amen to that? So that's why now, after the resurrection, after the death, burial, and resurrection has been completed, Jesus is ready to impart a new covenant of spiritual rebirth. That's why they got it. Right there, boom, they're saved. And that's why, and I always challenge my friends, whether they're oneness Pentecostals or they are the Baptists, is to show me anywhere in Jesus' teachings in Acts chapter 1 where he talks about the Holy Spirit related to salvation. Acts chapter 1 has nothing to do with salvation. 
Nothing to do with being born again. Nothing to do with having your life changed. Nothing with uh, receiving a new nature. All Acts chapter 1 is telling you, don't leave until you get baptized with the Holy Spirit so that you can have power to be my witnesses. That's why in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes on them, it doesn't say they get saved. It says they start speaking in tongues and start preaching. Can I hear an amen to that? Now, let me just show it to you one more time. Again, go to Acts chapter 9. Now we'll just look at the life of Paul. It's very simple. Remember, Paul's the one who wrote in Romans, if you believe in your heart, uh, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. But notice, uh, you know, Luke's recollection of Paul's encounter with God. Notice this. Here's his conversion, Acts chapter 9. He gets knocked down. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Verse 4, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. He said, now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what to do. Now, right here, if we don't believe that Paul got saved, then we don't understand Paul's own timeline. Paul got saved here when he fell down and met Jesus. Now, how do I know that? Because this Uh, timeline follows Ananias, who's going to come lay hands on him. Look at verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Because remember, Paul became blind then. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man, all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who are calling on your name. So before Paul became a Christian, he is a Jewish leader persecuting Christians. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Now notice this. Ananias does not enter the house and preach the gospel to Paul. He does not ask Paul, do you believe? Do you repent? No, no, no. He walks into the house, places his hands on Saul, brother Saul, the one that you, brother Saul, the Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you can see again and be filled with what? The Holy Spirit to be saved, to be born again. No, to lay hands on you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fall from Pels, uh, fall, fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And then right here, this helps people see that baptism is not what saves you. He's already repented, been born again, calling Jesus Lord, has hands laid on him to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then he's baptized. So sometimes people think you have to be baptized first to be saved. No, what did Paul say you have to do first to be saved? Confess Jesus is Lord. He did that there at the conversion. He then has hands laid on him. Now, brothers and sisters, is that important to know? Yes, because Jesus wants everybody to be born of the Spirit and baptized of the Spirit. The way that you can understand this according to John's gospel is very simple because he talks about this in John chapter 6. Go to John chapter 6, please. Or rather, John chapter 7. Look at this. Jesus, in the middle of this gospel, explains what it's going to be like. John chapter 7, verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival, this is the Feast of Booths. This is when they celebrated living in the wilderness by having tents, and they would go out camping for a little bit, and they would come to the temple and celebrate um, what God did for them. And one of the traditions that they had is they would pour water upon the steps of the temple to show the prophecy of Ezekiel's uh, river coming from the temple to come to pass. So in other words, they were understanding that there was more to their temple than what they were seeing because... Because Ezekiel had prophesied. And so as, as they had once lived in tents, they now want to live in the glory of God. And so on this last and greatest day of the festival, they would pour out the water on the, 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 the steps of the temple and get people to understand one day God's presence is going to flood the earth. And just hold your place right there real quick. Hold your place real quick. Because Ezekiel's prophecy is fulfilled in Revelation chapter 22. Look at Revelation 22 to understand the river. Because people ask us all the time, where's the Holy Spirit if God the Father and the Son are on the throne? The Holy Spirit's always flowing from the throne. Look at this. Uh, Chapter 22 of Revelation. The angel showed me a river of the water of what? Of the water of what? Life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of who? Of God and of the Lamb. 
One throne shared by the Father and Son, and where is the Holy Spirit? Flowing like a river. Can I hear an amen to that? How many are learning something? Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now go quickly back to John chapter 7. Now notice this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, verse 37 On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and what? Drink. Doesn't that sound like the woman at the well? Come and drink. He said, I'll give you living water. Remember that? John chapter 4. That's in the same book. Anyone who is thirsty, let him come to me and what? Drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers rivers of living water will what? flow from within them. So notice there is a drinking and then there is a flowing. Does everybody get that? Come on. There is a drinking and then there is a flowing. By this he meant the spirit whom those who had believed in him were later to receive. Up until that point, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. You all see that right there? Come on, that's an old snap moment right there. See right there? Now at the, book of, at the end of the book of John, what happens? He breathes on them. They get the Holy Spirit. According to this illustration that he showed them that day, on that great day of the festival, as they're literally watching people try to make a river flow from the temple of God, what is that? Is that a drinking or is that a flowing at that moment when he breathed on them in John 20? That's the drinking of the waters of salvation. Where is the flowing now? Acts chapter 2. Read it again. Come to me and What? Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will what? Flow from within them. There is a drinking and then there is a flowing. In John chapter 20, look at your neighbor and say, this is just a review. I haven't even got to the verse I skipped, by the way. This is honestly just a review. I love this passage so much I can't get to the next point that I actually skipped and I got the whole service for. got about 10 scriptures to go through, but I can't get to that unless you understand this first, okay? The drinking and then the flowing. When he meets them in John chapter 20, after he's glorified, what does he do? He gives them the drink from the waters of salvation. They're now saved. He's been glorified. What is he then talking about in Acts chapter 2? The flowing. What does the rivers flowing mean? Power. You look at how the hydroponic power, how they've been harnessing it for years. Even as you look at, you know, these uh, different farming communities that would put that water wheel there in that river. And as it would turn, it would produce energy for them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? See, that energy comes from the flowing of the waters. So Jesus gives them the drink of the Spirit at being born again. Then at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the river, the dam is loose so that the rivers can flow and power comes. And so everyone here, understand God's plan for your life. He wants you to be born of the Spirit, to drink of the waters of salvation as Isaiah talked about, and then for you to be baptized in the Spirit and for power to be coming from you. Every single Christian. And I got so excited about that last time, I just skipped the next verse and kept going. But let's now go to this next verse and make your Roman Catholic friends happy. Are you ready? He said, receive the Holy Spirit. John chapter 20, now verse 23. If you, re, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And Father Tom said, amen. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, this is the part that just gets me right here. The sermon title now is If You. Look at your neighbor and say, If You. Okay, all like I said, that was just a review. Now we're getting into the sermon today. If you forgive, sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive, sins are not forgiven. So I want to ask you a question. Does that now support the priest doing confession? It doesn't, does it? Why is that? Because everyone who received the Holy Spirit gets to be a part of that. I wish I could drop this mic right now. It's too expensive. Y'all better get that. Why did pastor just waste all that time telling me? It wasn't a waste of time. It was to help you not go into a dark closet and confess sins to somebody that should be in a courtroom with bright lights. Are you listening to me? Well, we are called to be the one who pardons you of sin. It's me, Father Tom. Meet me in that dark closet. 
Well, where do you get that from? Oh, right here, John chapter 20, verse 23. If I forgive your sins, you're forgiven. If I don't forgive your sins, you're not forgiven. And if you're not a good protester, if you're not a good Protestant, you don't know to back it up to the verse prior and say, how did you boys get that authority? Oh, is the Holy Spirit breathed on us? But hold on, I thought we all get the Holy Spirit. I didn't know this was something just for you. Now remember this, we went through the story of Paul. Remember that? Who laid hands on Paul to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Was it another apostle? Was it somebody that was one of the original 12 disciples? No, it was a man named Ananias. That means anybody God can use to preach the gospel, see them saved, and God can use anybody to lay hands on somebody else to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, they want to take something that belongs to the church and give it just to the clergy. And the moment that you do that, you have now messed up both. The clergy are going to begin to get big-headed and think they have some kind of authority that God never gave them, and they're going to become a big I, and you're going to be a little you. And then how does it mess up the people in the church? It now makes them think that they have to go to a man to go to God. I have to go to a man to go to God. I can't receive forgiveness unless I go to this man first. Now, most Protestants would say amen to that. How many can say amen to that? You can say amen right now. If you agree, that's a good thing to agree to that. And then they throw everything else out. What about confession of sin one to another? Because there is a command here to do it. What about being accountable one to another? What about holding each other to a higher standard? And if when you're with that person and they're talking about their issues, what about telling them, man, I don't think you're forgiven of your sin because of the confession of your mouth. It sounds like you're making excuses for your sins. Are we then supposed to just say, well, don't judge me, don't judge me? It sounds like in the Bible that Protestants might have missed a little bit of what the Catholics abused. Misuse, everybody listen to me, please. Misuse does not equal disuse. Well, because they have misused confession, let's just throw it out and never do it because I don't want to be accused of being a Catholic. No, my brothers and sisters, misuse does not equal disuse, but rather a reason to have proper use. We got to bring this back into the church. Well, who do you think you are? I'm somebody filled with the Holy Spirit meant to tell you whether or not you're forgiven. Wow. Christians are supposed to do that? Yeah, sure sounds like it. They go to Matthew chapter 16, go quickly, and they say, well, this is where Peter received the keys of the kingdom and that he can bind and loose, and that has to do with forgiving, and now we can trace our pope to Peter. But let's see if this is true. Go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. Jesus speaking this wonderful promise to Peter. He says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That sounds like it might be something just for Peter, but hold on, my brother or sister. Go a few chapters over. Go to Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. The same authority that he gave Peter, who was the first to become a member of the body of Christ because he confessed Jesus as the Messiah, is now given to anybody in the church. Can I hear an amen? Look at it. Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth... Oh, well, hold on. I thought that was told just to Peter. No, he's talking to his disciples here. Just back up just a little bit if you don't believe me. If they still refuse to listen, well, let's just go all the way up to verse 15. This is what's supposed to happen when someone does not repent of their sins the right way in the church. Y'all listening to me right here? I, I, I think by God's grace this will be done uh, you know, next week, this, this book. I got a series of messages I want to preach. They're all going to be spontaneous, but I want to put them under one big title. You know what I want to call it? The church. I want to preach about 20 messages just on the church. Most Christians don't even understand the church. They don't understand what we're even doing here. They think just because I'm wearing jeans and dressed casual like them that I don't have any authority and then that they can say what they want, I can say what I, you know, what I want, and then you're just supposed to decide. You know, Like you have a side, I have. No, man, people don't understand the church. And then people think they can just do whatever they want in the church, and that it's the church's job to serve them like we somehow at Burger King, your way right away. All I want to do right now is just talk about 20 sermons about the church. But can I just jump ahead a little bit right now? What authority was given to Peter is given to the church. How do I know that? Because look at chapter 18, verse 15 here. Talking about sin. 
If your brother or sister sins, go to them and point out their fault just between the two of them, the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. See, your brother or sister is supposed to listen to you if they're in sin. We are supposed to hold each other accountable. That's according to the Bible. That's not just the Pope. That's just not the pastor. That's every individual is to hold the other individual according to the things of God. Are you listening? But let's say it doesn't work out so good. They get mad and they talk about you on Facebook now. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every testimony may be established by two or three witnesses. So now you're supposed to bring up other people in the church that you know are trusted workers, trusted laborers. Look at the letters of Paul and how he lists these people out as fellow elders and deacons and ministers. And yes, it can just be normal people in the church as well, but preferred elders and deacons. Get more witnesses. Now look at verse 17. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the what? Tell it to the who? The church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. This is why the church is messed up. Hello, somebody. And this is why I'll even say to the Roman Catholic, hey, man, you ain't even doing that right. Oh, we got power. We got authority. Man, 90% of your people ain't even living for God. You ain't got no good fruit here. Trying to tell us Protestants, well, you guys think you, you're better than us because you don't have a pope. You have a thousand popes. Look at all your pastors. Look at all them developing their own kingdoms. They're just like our pope. They try to be in church. And that's true. That's a fair accusation that Protestants now try to make their own cathedrals and try to make their own Rome and try to make their own Vatican. How many know there's some pimps in the pulpit? But that doesn't mean that they're the solution to the problem. They say they believe in confession, yet the ones confessing their sins keep going out living the same. Why? Because I meet them every day when I go out preaching. Oh, I'm Catholic. Yeah, but you ain't saved. Can I get an amen? Well, I confess my sins. Yeah, but you haven't confessed Jesus as Lord and been free from your sins. Right? Let's be honest. I pray to the saints. Well, you haven't prayed to Jesus. If you've been praying to Jesus, you would, you would act different. You would walk different. You would talk different. Right? Come on. We know this. And if they supposedly had their authority, why aren't they excommunicating all the sinners in their church? Isn't that what the Bible says? You get people out of the church that refuse to repent of their sins. I'm glad that some of these uh, priests, you know, were calling out Biden all of them because they're blatant in their sin. They're supporting homosexuality. They're supporting abortion, and yet they're claiming to be members of the Roman Catholic Church. Let someone from Metro Praise try to claim our name and believe that nonsense. I'll be the first one on the 6 o'clock news excommunicating their behind. Are you all listening? See, some people don't want a church like that. But then those same people will be the ones down the road talking about every hypocrite in the church. Well, I don't go, well, not here then. You know how we get rid of hypocrites is we hold them to the same standard. Well, pastor, what if somebody does sin? You better repent of that sin to your brother or your sister. Make it right and keep moving. That's what the Bible says. This is, come on, brothers or sisters. I'm about ready to put it up on the karaoke screen because I want you all to see it. Do you all not see it right here? If someone sins, what does it say? Look at verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, just leave them alone. Nobody's perfect. Everybody, God working on everybody. We're just a work in progress. The Bible literally says if you see someone in sin, you go talk to them. And then after you talk to them, if it doesn't go well, you don't just say to yourself, well, you know what? I don't want to cause any problems. You know, let's just leave it alone. No, no. You're supposed to go to other people and get witnesses. In our church, because there's a lot of people here, you may not know the best ones to call out. We say choose our elders and deacons as your witnesses. Choose those that have been appointed as elders to come into that next meeting with you. We don't mind that at all. How many, got, how many elders and deacons got time to set things in order? Amen. And then now listen, they don't want to listen to those leaders. We tell it to the whole church. And what that means is anybody that's in good standing at this church as an elder or deacon or in our discipleship is going to know if we need to excommunicate somebody. And then after that, if they don't feel the shame of their behavior and they want to keep living in sin and talking bad about us, the Bible says treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, what do we do to pagans or tax collectors? Take them outside, tar and feather them, and whoop them? No, we love pagans and tax collectors, but we know one thing about them. They ain't our people. You ain't our people. We love you. God loves you. I pray for you. I'll greet you in the marketplace. Wish God's blessing upon you and your family, but you're not my people. Because my people live for Jesus. My people are holy people, God said. Amen? So how do we deal with problems in the church? We talk to you individually. We then bring along some others. Oh, they all ganged up on me. People said, no, you're just a coward. You're just weak. You're just a, you're just a simp. Stop simping. Amen? 
And then they all put me out to church. That's a cult over there. No, we are church. What you are is a cult. What you want to have is a church that does what you tell them to do. We don't do what you tell us to do. We don't change our doctrines because you change your doctrine. We don't stop living in uh, holiness because you're living in sin. You're the cult. We're the church. This is written in the Bible. This is Jesus speaking here. Can I hear an amen? So that's why I say to people now, they get all upset when they hear these things. But then I say, man, you need to go back and understand church history. How did the Roman Catholics go back to John chapter 20? How do you think the Roman Catholics even got that thing going? How do bad things come out in tradition over time? Corruptions of good things. How many know where fireworks came from? Fireworks came from people blowing each other up on the battlefield. <laughs> That's why some people come back from the war. They don't like fireworks. Because what does fireworks come from? Fireworks come from guns going off. In Chicago, you can't tell which one is which, though, right? People on, the, you know, on our holidays take advantage to light it up with the block. I heard all the stats going on in our city. I feel so bad for our people. Look at the murder rate going up. Every time it's a holiday, murder rate goes up. But going back to understanding the tradition. The tradition came from shooting guns, shooting cannons. Now we make loud noises. You're, you're like oohing and on over what 100 years ago was, uh, you know, dis, disfiguring people. Ooh, ah. That was blowing people's arms apart. Okay, so now let me ask you a question. Where, where did the confession come from? I've actually studied it. It came from exactly what we just read in Matthew 18. It came from the church doing what they were supposed to do. And then over time, the clergy said, well, we don't need to mess with them. We don't need to bother with them. We'll just take care of it. We'll just take care of it. And then they started to separate themselves from the congregation. And then eventually now you had a mass distinction, a massive gulf between the clergy and the congregation to where now you're not even involved in anything like that. You could show up to not only this church, but any other Roman Catholic church, any church in the city, Protestant and Catholic, and you'll show up there and people can live however they want and it's fine. As long as the pastors and the leadership take care of it. And by the way, most of them now don't even want to take care of it. No one's getting held accountable to their sin. No one. You can be homosexual in most churches attending Bible studies. They did a whole documentary on Hillsong. Hillsong was spreading like a cancer. And you guys know, I don't like to say I told you so much, but every now and then I told you so. It was obvious to know where this was going. I mean, I don't have to be the best of preachers nor a hater to understand, man, that stuff was an inch deep and a mile wide. It was shallow. And all these pastors were following after him. Oh, they wear tight pants. I'm going to wear tight pants. Oh, they wear Jordans on stage. I'm going to wear Jordans on stage. They get the side whoop and the shaved head. I'm going to get this, you know. And they were all looking like them. Carl Lentz and these boys. They all wanted to be like them. And yet now you go back and you look at what they were, what they were doing. Man, that whole church was a mess. You have a story coming out, this is on the documentary, where you have a homosexual couple leading in the worship team, then go on Amazing Race and announce to the whole world, I'm, I'm a Christian worship leader at Hillsong. And then Brian Houston, the leader over all the ones, has to say, no, no, we don't affirm that. And Carl Lentz was their local pastor of that Hillsong New York. And he's like, whoops, I guess I got caught. He was letting it go on. And then the main leader goes, no, no, we don't do that. And then basically you can watch the documentary on uh, Hulu. The, the, these homosexuals now are hurt. They're like, what? Man, they throw us out the church. They know that we were homosexuals. I was helping a church here in the city. I won't say their name because I'm being gracious to them right now. But they put out on, a, on their uh, Instagram, hey, now we're making a stand about how we feel about homosexuality. It was news to people in the church, two or 300 member church. It was news to them. Underneath the Instagram post, homosexuals were writing going, I'm one of your leaders. You know me. And yet they think they're so slick. No, not around here. Somebody say, not here. You know exactly what we believe about your sin here. Amen. That means if a homosexual wants to attend this church, they have to admit that it's a sin. If a rapist wants to attend this church, how many believe they have to admit that's a sin? And then we're going to march them over there to the jail. We're going to get them help. How many know if an alcoholic comes here, they got to admit it's the sin? You are not allowed. Let me just be very clear. You are not allowed in this church with your sin calling yourself a Christian. You can't. You say, well, pastor, what do we do with those who are struggling in their sin? We tell them to repent. We tell them to follow this. And then we will let you know whether you're forgiven or not. 
Well, Joe thinks he's Father Joe. Now I guess. No, I just think I'm biblical Joe. Well, who are you to judge me? I'm somebody filled with the Holy Spirit, commanded to tell you whether or not your sins are forgiven. Otherwise, listen, all my friends out there that listen to my messages or those of you who are here that are skeptical of this verse, I will read it again, and I will let you debate it. All you have to do is write me at lsiinski at mpichurch.org, lsiinski at mpichurch.org to set up that debate. <laughs> Look at what it says. Receive the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Now, what does it go on to say? If you... Is he talking just to apostles? No, he's talking to everybody there that's getting filled with the Holy Spirit. We know on the day of Pentecost there was at least 120 of them. He said, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. Somebody say, if you. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now going back to Matthew 18, how do I know it's not just for for, uh, the disciples? Because he says, tell it to the church. The church is in charge here. Somebody say, the church is in charge. I don't know if you all remember the show Charles in Charge. He ain't in charge of nothing. The church is in charge. Say it one more time with me. The church is in charge. Get right. Come on, say it with me. Get right or get ran over. But the church is in charge. You don't have to go to this one. That's, that's the beauty of this church. You don't have to go here. But if you go to another church, they're still in charge. You might go to a simp church, and they don't want to be in charge. That's up to you. Stupid is as stupid does. But here we believe the church is in charge. Amen? Tell it to the church, he says. Then treat them as pagan and tax collectors. Now look at verse 18. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Wasn't that the same mandate given to Peter when he confessed Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God? Notice it now, it's given to the church. And here's one that we know for sure is the church. Again, I tell you, if any two of you agree about anything, they ask, it will be done for them. How many believe that scripture applies to you? Not just to the 12 apostles or to some elite group of clergy. I said, how many of y'all believe that? Believe, how many believe that applies to you? Amen. Well, if that applies to you, doesn't the, uh, the, the part that comes right above it, that says that if you bind things, they're bound. If you loose things, they're loose. And this is not just towards the heavenly realms. This is a governmental term that you're in charge. Can I hear an amen? For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So going back to John chapter 20, why do we have the power to forgive sins if Jesus is the only one that has the power to forgive sins? That's a sign of his divinity in the Gospels that he does this, and they wanted to stone him for it, uh, Jesus doing it, because it's blasphemy. Why is it now we have that a power? Because it's in his name. It's in the name of Jesus. I cannot forgive your sins on my name. I can't. That's blasphemy. That's what Jesus did. Jesus forgave sins in his name. Somebody say in Jesus' name. That's a powerful name, isn't it? The name of Jesus carries the authority of the Father. But can I forgive your sins in my name? Whose name do I have to use when I do all of this? Jesus' name. You want to see it in the scriptures now? Amen. Let's go to some of these scriptures. Go to James chapter 5, verse 13. How many are ready to forgive somebody's sins? How many are ready to tell somebody their sins aren't forgiven? I don't know how else to keep that command. See, this is where people pick and choose from the Bible like a buffet. Oh, I like this part where it says, do unto others as you want done unto you. But I don't like this part where it says, if you forgive, they're forgiven. Well, then you're picking and choosing. I'm not picking and choosing. If you want to be a Christian, this is the greatest place to become a a Christian in a church like this. Why? Because we're going to teach you how to be born again, help you get filled with the Holy Ghost, and teach you the commands of God so that you don't live in sin. Just just quickly, hold your place there in James chapter 5 and just go to Matthew chapter 28 just to see what we're supposed to do here. Some people don't get this, but this is what we are actually supposed to do. Not what what churches have been doing, you know, just having choirs and just having outreaches and doing great things for the community, having camps and conferences. Those are amazing, right? But notice what we're actually supposed to do. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make church members of all the nations. Is that what it says? No, therefore, go and make what? Conference attendees? One more time, what does it say? Disciples. A disciple is a student of a master. We're teaching you to be a student of Jesus Christ. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And then what's this next part right here? Teaching them to what? Obey some things, everything I have commanded you. 
Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. My job, brothers and sisters, is to teach you everything Jesus commanded you. Let's just be honest. You don't have to raise your hands, but I know I got a lot of church people here. This is not your first rodeo. Some of you have gone to other churches before MPI. Our boast in the Lord by God's grace is this is many people's church, uh, first church. There used to be at one time eight out of the ten members out of uh, Metro Praises congregation were all one to the Lord here, baptized here, and if they would not have seen what God was doing here, they would have died and went to hell. Like So we were the rescue that God sent out. Now it might be closer to half and half. After COVID, a lot of people were looking for a church, and now we have presence online and different things. So maybe about half of you here may have come from another church. So I want everyone to listen to me, especially those who came from another church. Did you even know what I just said in John? That you were supposed to forgive sins and not forgive sins? Did any pastor even tell you how to keep that command? Then what kind of joke are you thinking the church is then? If you didn't think there was that kind of authority in the church, then what do you think it was? This is a real place to have authority. This is not a joke. This is not a a self-help meeting or a place where a guy just comes and tells you some stuff. This is a place where your sins get forgiven or they don't. See, now, do you understand why the Catholics got so Catholic about it? Now they're the only ones. And if you don't confess here and you don't get communion here, you're not forgiven. Well, what, what do you think gave them all that swagger? Scriptures like this. You talk to a Roman Catholic about their priest and confession, you ask them if they take it like a joke. Even though they're hypocritical about it, but they'll tell you real clear, man, I got to go to that dude. I had to be confirmed to do that. How many understand that? And then if you try to tell them that that authority from their pope doesn't matter, they'll say, look at you, you rogue, rebellious thing. You have no authority. I come from Rome. I come from the lineage of popes all the way to Peter. You're just a wild vagabond, an anarchist. You all, some of you haven't met real Roman Catholics that have swagger about their popes. Has anybody ever met a real Catholic that would kiss a pope's ring? Come on, anybody ever met one of them that really believed what they were taught in, in their confirmation classes? Come on, some of you. They take that serious. Now, like I said, they may be hypocritical about it, but they take it serious. Now, why are we as Protestants looking at this going, uh, I don't know what to do there. Pastor, tell me again about how I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. Get ready, get ready, get ready. It's your day of prosperity. Tell me again how when I give in the ties, it's pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Tell me how I'm going to achieve my destiny. Haven't even ran through a scripture to teach you about the power of forgiveness and of condemnation towards people in their sin. Now, please turn with me to James chapter 5. You better take it serious, brothers and sisters, because it's part of your commands. What did it look like? You might say, well, pastor, what did it look like after he commanded that? Well, James, half-brother of Jesus, writes to us an epistle about how the church is getting along. And look at James chapter 5, verse 13. Is any among you in trouble? Let him pray. Okay. Somebody say pray. I got to pray just to make it today. I got to pray. Anybody remember MC Hammer back in the day? I got to pray. Yeah, brothers and sisters, there used to be pop songs about people praying on the radio. I think the last one that broke through like that was Kanye West, Closed on Sunday, with Chick-fil-A songs. But seriously, MC Hammer back in my day was singing about praying on the radio. That's where it comes from. Is anyone in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. How many were praising God today? You're learning about the church. This is, this is an a, a understanding of what it looked like to be a Christian. James is telling us, if you were in trouble, you would pray. If you were happy, you would praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of our Lord. This doesn't mean other people can't pray. It just says when you're in the church, there should be an order. So our order up here is to have those elders and deacons to pray for you so you can know that they're tested and approved, that they're not unclean, that they're living right. And if we ever find out they're not living right, they'll have to sit down and get right with God. Amen? So if they have sinned, they have confessed their sins, they're not caught in the Matthew 18 of the struggle of their sin. They're not denying it. We're not saying Christians can't sin. We're just saying if we do, we confess it right away. The first time that somebody brings up your sin to you, you should already know that's a red flag because God already brought it to you, but you weren't listening. How many know God will never tell on you until you don't listen to him? 
I have never had anybody ever bring up a sin to me that God had not already been dealing with me on. Okay, so that's why they're up here. It's not that they haven't sinned. It's that they've dealt with it either in their personal life or someone has spoke it out to them. And they're living, they're living the best they can for God without excuses of sin, right? So these are the people you have praying for you in the church at these times. That's what it says. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. So by faith, we're going to see people healed. How many believe in that? And the Lord will raise them up. Now notice this part right here, which people skip over all the time because that's church, isn't it? Well, you pray in church. Hallelujah. You praise God in church. And if anybody is sick, get hands laid on you in church. How many go to a church like that today? Can I get a Pentecostal amen, not a Presbyterian one? Because I don't know if they pull out the oil and lay hands on you at the Presbyterian church, but you get oiled up here every now and then, don't you at the Pentecostal church. You pray, you praise, and you lay hands on people, but hold on, keep reading. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins just to your pope, your priest. No, to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. That's talking about spiritual healing, isn't it? Now notice this right here. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Wow. So what did it look like as Jesus ascended to heaven and the church began to keep these commands? Well, they would gather very much as we're gathering now. Most of the time it was in private spaces because it was illegal to be a Christian, but every now and then they could rent out a place or get their own property. But then it turned towards massive persecution around 70 AD and things changed dramatically. But I'm talking about after Christ ascended around 30 AD to 70 AD, Christians are meeting very similar to this. No big eyes, little U's. No people wearing different kinds of clothes from those in the congregation. The clergy is just like the congregation other than the fact that they've been uh, uh, ordained to do a task. Just like you on your job, your boss is a human just like you. How many say amen to that? But they have a task that's authoritative. You just like me, I'm just like you, but I have a task that's authoritative. How many know the policeman or policewoman is just like us, but they have a task that has an authority, hallelujah. Young people, your principal is just like you, but they have an authority. So here's there's authority, and what would they do? They would pray for each other. They would praise God together. They would lay hands on each other if they were sick. And then what else? They would confess their sins to each other. Just to the priest? No, to each other. And then where does John come in? Then they would tell each other, you're forgiven. Or you're not forgiven. Why would they do that? Because you got to clear somebody's conscience. The Catholic priest's job ain't to absolve you. That's the, that's the disciple's job, not a Catholic priest. Can I hear an amen to that? Absolution is a clearing of your conscience. God has already done the work. We know that from Scripture, that only God can forgive. But when we say in his name, you're forgiven, when we say in his name, you're not forgiven, we're teaching people to either let that conscience come clean and do the right thing, or that now they've done the right thing and their conscience should be clean. I, I don't know how else to read these passages. It says in John, whose sins you forgive are forgiven. Whose sins you don't forgive, they are not forgiven. It then says in James that a part of their church service was to confess sins to one another. Go quickly to Galatians. Few more scriptures here in closing. How many are learning something today? Well, Pastor, somebody confessed sins to me, and I told them I don't forgive them. You ain't forgive. You go into hell. Oh, you better be careful now. If you're not forgiving, what does the Bible says? As you have been forgiven, all your sins are now held against you. So you better be careful, you sassy saint. Oh no, they ain't forgiven. I don't for sure not for I'm not letting them get off like that. Hold on. Do you have a biblical precedent to say they're not forgiven? Are they not following the word of God? Have they not shown contrition? Have they not confessed it before God? Have they not said, I will never do it again as it pertains to my will in my heart right now? I want to live for God 100%. And you found something bad in them? Tell me. Because you can't just say they're not forgiven just because you're angry at them. The Bible says that when we do it, we do it by the Scriptures. Here's Galatians chapter 6. Notice this. Brothers and sisters, verse 1, if, if, if someone or anyone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Come on, brother. I mean, y'all been going to church and nobody told y'all to do this. I'm not saying we're the only ones. I'm really not. But there are very few churches today in our culture that teach brothers and sisters how to do this. 
if they're caught in a sin, that's none of my business. Seriously, we had a family coming to this church at one point, and the daughter was a youth leader in our youth program. And she started getting nasty with the boy in the, in the youth program, and it came out. We then said, you got to step down. She was leading a Bible study in, in, her, in her house. We said, you got to step down from being the Bible study leader. You've got to let somebody else lead the Bible study. You've broken covenant. This has been going on. It's secret. You didn't confess it to it. Now that it's out, we need you to step down. You need to build up trust again. Can I hear an amen? How many of you want youth leaders raising up your youth, not out of hypocrisy, but out of holiness? We didn't say she had to leave the church. We just said you can't lead our young people until you know how to act with your boyfriend. And now we need to see some time and testing before we trust you with this. Can I hear an amen? Ain't everybody a sinner, people. There are some saints in the house of God, and God wants to raise up saints. We've had enough sinners. Don't let people tell you there's so much sin in the church, there's no point of cleaning it up. No, we keep a clean house in Jesus' name. I'll go back and run the Bible study if I have to. Because when I got saved in 95, the last time I touched or did something I wasn't supposed to was that day. And the last time I looked at anything inappropriate was 96, and it was 10 years till I got married. So don't tell me every boy's got to be dirty, every girl's got to be, you know, easy or whatever. No, to hell with all sin in Jesus' name. Amen? We holy here. Guess what? We let the parents know out of respect to the teenage daughter. Hey, we had to ask your daughter to step down. Now, you've got one or two uh, guesses here options of what you think the parents did. A, they backed us up, said, thank God you are taking care of our daughter. We didn't know it either. We support you. Yay. Or they got angry at us, told us it was none of our business, and how dare we judge their sweet little baby girl who was doing the best she knew how to serve Jesus. Which one do you think they went for? Yeah. I'm sitting here arguing with a parent now. I'm like, are you serious? Well, you shouldn't have been nosy. You shouldn't have been listening to the other one talking about. You should, you should, you put it all on me like I was the problem. Now I understand what these parking meter people feel like. Man, they, yeah, they probably have a tough job. Everybody hating on them. Nobody will like them. Don't you know I was running late? Don't you know I tried it, but my phone, don't you know? And all they're saying is, listen, man, I'm just telling you what I'm looking at. You don't have the meter paid. I was telling the parents, listen, I wasn't trying to expose your daughter. I'm not. They tried to make it sound like I was listening to their daughter's diary, trying to get into her secret sexual life. And I'm like, I don't care about how your daughter is in that way. That's not my concern. What is my concern is whether or not she lives holy. That's my concern. And if she's not living holy and it comes to my attention, I will address it. Whole family left the church. Brothers and sisters, what a mess we're in today. And they go to a church down the road that says, oh, you poor thing. Look, what church did you come from? Oh, I came from Metro Prince. Oh, we feel sorry for you. Here's a therapy dog. We've met some of those folks before. Here's a free gift card to our cafe in the church. You poor thing. What does the Bible say? Brothers and sisters, someone is caught in a sin. You who live by the Spirit should restore them gently. I t I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I got witnesses here for elders. We are gentle in our conversations. Every now and then we might yell. Yes, that's true. We do get mad. How many know sometimes you get mad? Sometimes we get mad, but I'm going to be very honest with you. 99.99% of the time, we are very gentle with them. Let's work it through. You don't have to leave. Let's figure it out. Because some people, they hear this preaching, and maybe they don't know our heart, and they're like, man, they're going to kick us out the church, but I really love this church. No, no, our first, our heart is always to make it right. With that young lady, it was, man, stay in the church. Let someone else lead the Bible study in your parents' home. Do the thing. Well, I'm embarrassed of this and that. Now they're going to know why I stepped down. That's between you and them now. Brothers and sisters, I don't understand. They go on Jerry Springer and tell the whole thing, or Maury, you know, they tell the whole thing. They go on Dr. Phil, tell the whole thing. And now in, in their life here, they go like, oh, I'm so ashamed. I'm so ashamed. Just tell people, I have to get the junk out of my trunk. And if anyone gives you more trouble than that, tell them to come talk to us. Notice what it says in verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You see how the Bible says to restore people? Now quickly, First uh, John, I have so many more to go through, but I think we covered a lot today. Go to First John chapter 5, verse 16. Notice what the Bible teaches us to do here. 
1 John chapter 5, verse 16. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. Do you see that? Does everybody see it in their Bible, black and white? If you see a brother or sister in sin, you pray for them. That's why we have altar calls up here. And I always tell people, we're not trying to be your priest in the sense of making you think we're better than you or that this is the only way you talk to God. No, no. What altar workers are doing is implementing this part of the church that was commanded by Jesus in the book of John to forgive or not forgive sins. And what are they trained to do, these workers that are up here? They are trained to pray with you to receive a clean conscience when they know you've confessed your sins. Well, I just want to confess it to God. Okay, that's fine. You can do that. But at some point, you're going to need to know you're doing this Christian thing right. Because at some point, I'm being honest with you, you're going to have questions about whether or not I'm doing this right. And the disciples are there to help you to be like, okay, well, you've been living for Jesus, but you're still looking at pornography. How long has it been? What's well, been this long? And then you keep confessing? Yeah. But do you turn from it? Do you cut off the things that cause you to sin, as the Bible says? See, they're going to help you. And then they're going to let you know whether or not you're taking Christianity serious. I didn't say you couldn't be saved in a Christian without this. I'm just saying this is a part of our practice. And to then be a sinning Christian and not use this, now that's a problem. But I'm just saying, like, right now, if you want to talk to Jesus, you and him, absolutely you can, because there's other scriptures that say that. I know that. But I'm saying these scriptures say there's a benefit to talking to others, and there's a conscience that is clean when you do. How many have ever confessed their sins to God, but then went to an accountability partner, talked about it, and when they prayed for you, you really felt like there was something changing in your life? That's because that literally comes from the Bible. Confessing your sins one to another and then them praying for you. It says, pray for them. First John, chapter 5, verse 16. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. I refer to those who sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. How many just got confused there a little bit about what does not lead to death? Let's be honest. That's a little bit confusing, isn't it? But you know what he's saying? In other words, if they are not a Christian, there is no point in praying for their forgiveness. The sin that leads to death is a disbelieving in Jesus Christ. So in other words, if somebody comes to you and says, pray for me, man, I'm sinning and I want to get free from my sin, then you pray for them. But if they come to you as a Muslim and say, man, I'm a Muslim, but would you pray for me to get out of adultery? You cannot pray for them because they have a sin that's greater than the thing they're talking about. They have the biggest sin, which is the sin that leads to death. They are on their way to hell for denying Christ. So I can't pray for a sinner's forgiveness. I can only pray for them to get forgiveness. You get what I'm saying? I can only help them become a Christian. Like, Lord, make them a Christian, help them know and love you, right? But then for Christians, we pray with each other for forgiveness because we know that we're coming in Jesus' name. So I can't make a sinner receive the name of Jesus. But if you're already a Christian, then we both come in the name of Jesus. That's why when we speak to each other, we're speaking on behalf of Jesus. Amen? So can I get the altar workers to come up in this beautiful service? Would you bless the Lord for these wonderful leaders in the church? Amen. Now you know why we do what we do. So these are brothers and sisters here to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus, they will help you to know Jesus by confessing him as Lord. Can you do that on your own? Absolutely. But they are here to help you to do that. Then if you are a Christian and you are sinning and you want forgiveness, you can talk to the Lord on your own. Yes, he'll hear you. But if you want to be a disciple, remember we heard about that, and you want to be taught how to keep the commands of Jesus, well, then come to one of them because that's that prayer that will bring healing to you. Amen? Father, I thank you for this wonderful service. I know we went over some things that seem to be controversial in our culture. But Lord, I pray that your word will permeate the heart and that what I didn't have time to go through, that the heart will begin to receive this week as they study. 
And that, Lord, in this church, there will be a trust between us as the elders and deacons and leaders and those who are living for Jesus, Lord. There will be a trust amongst us to call each other out when we're in sin, to come alongside of each other, to help. And that, Lord, when we're confessing one to another, we will be kind and gentle, giving one another forgiveness. And if there is a blind spot, Lord, and the forgiveness is not ready to be affirmed, Lord, we'll teach so that people can go there to that place of forgiveness. Lord, I pray against anyone here that would use the authority of the church against anyone for impure purposes, for anything of self-grandizement, for pride, for abuse. Anyone here in the sound of my voice who has ever been abused in this church or another church, please get us involved in the leadership and the police. We stand behind you. Nothing hidden here. Father, I pray against any of those wicked things that come through the malpractice of this Christian doctrine. And at the same time, Lord, I ask us now to receive it and to live according to it. If you're not yet a Christian, you can confess Jesus as Lord. See, I'm helping you to do that. If you're not a Christian, ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. If you're already a Christian, start to confess your sins to the Lord now. And then as we get ready to dismiss, those who want to pray with others to be taught these things, to hear a verbal, you are forgiven, or God is with you, something along those lines, they will be up here to encourage you. And then last but not least, I pray for anyone here that's not received the baptism of the Spirit. Maybe you've been saved, but you have not had the rivers loosed yet from you to speak in those unlearned languages, to have the power to be a witness. I pray for you to receive even right now. And if you would like for us, we will lay hands on you as they did in the Scriptures. Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray all of these wonderful things. And all God's people said, amen. Can you bless the Lord with me, saints? Would you stand up, greet somebody?